facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Stay to you. It is January the 11th, 2024. Gotta make sure I say that right. Yeah, I'm so glad you're with me on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149 is the toll-free line to call to talk to me for free. Our listener line sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Got a great program lined up for you today. Rich Gannon, former NFL QB for 17 years, former league MVP. He's also one of the most valuable prayers in relevant radio land. Big fan of the network and a great friend of the program. He'll be by later today to talk about an NFL playoff preview, Super Wildcard Weekend this weekend. Also, Black Monday extended for the whole week in the NFL. Lots of firings of coaches, execs, and I'm going to get his take on this. Bill Belichick uh, pushed out of New England after 24 years. Nick Saban retiring from the Alabama Crimson Tide in the college ranks. Well, a couple goats there. Uh, major, major uh, ramifications for, for the football world. Uh, Rich will have some hot takes on that as well, no doubt. And we're going to get you our picks on the games on the weekend. But first, I want to give out the email address as well. It's kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can also follow me on the X app at kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And speaking of email... Speaking of email, I did get a message that it's a good day to talk about this email, actually, because it is Thursday. Thursday was the day, of course, of the week that Jesus instituted the Eucharist at the Last Supper on Holy Thursday. And of course, that became the first Mass, the Last Supper. And it's a good day for Catholics and other Christians all around the world. Uh, of course, there is a valid Eucharist in the Orthodox churches of the East. Uh, it's a great day to renew our devotion to the Eucharist, and to really make that a center of our prayer for devotion on this particular day of the week. Got an email about that, actually, and I wanted to read this to you, and, and maybe you guys will have a take on this, too. 888 is the number to call. This is an email I got from Mary, and I, I had been, it's in reference to something I had said on the air back in December about the Eucharist. And so Mary starts off her email by saying, Kale, you stated that Jesus Christ is present at every Roman Catholic Mass in the Communion Eucharist. The body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus is directly touched by the communicant when he or she receives the host. But in Mark chapter 5, verse 25 in the Bible, a woman with a chronic hemorrhage who's had it for 12 years comes up in a crowd of people following Jesus and touches his cloak. Immediately, her flow of blood dries up. She feels that her body is healed. Aware that power had gone out of him, Jesus tells the woman, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. The woman touched his cloak, not his body, but at mass, Catholics actually touch his body, blood, soul, and divinity. This is what the popes have always taught. This is what the Catholic catechism rules teach. But what is really happening? Nothing happens at Mass, she says. Nothing. And again, I'm quoting Mary here, who's writing to me via email. Nothing happens at Mass. There are no miracles. If we had actually touched the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, all of our afflictions would be healed. 
So really, all we're touching is a memorial of Jesus Christ's Last Supper. In a similar fashion, you could say that the Jews have a memorial day for their Passover. No firstborn Egyptians are going to die on Passover day. I have attended at least 3,600 Roman Catholic Masses. No cripple in a wheelchair ever left his wheelchair behind in church and walked out. After 2,000 years, the Roman Catholic Church and its theology are crumbling. And then she goes on to, to make a lot of accusations about um, uh, priests uh, allegedly being greedy, looking for nothing but money, uh, committing all kinds of sins, which you know, tragically is the case, unfortunately, in some rare circumstances, but still numerous enough to uh, to be of grave concern. We, we all know this. Uh, anyway, she says a whole bunch of other stuff, but that was an email from... Mary, and so how do we how do we respond to these accusations? Um, really, what she's asking is, in a sense, why don't Eucharistic miracles happen at every mass? If what's really taking place, according to the church, is actually taking place, that this ordinary bread and wine mixed with a couple drops of water are transformed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, why don't we see more Eucharistic miracles? Why isn't this sort of stuff happening at every Mass? Why aren't people being healed of various diseases on the spot when receiving the Eucharist? Well, that's, that's actually, in some ways, a good question. Uh, the, I want to do say off the top, Mary, that these things do happen from time to time. There are Eucharistic miracles, some of them quite notable that have happened uh, throughout history, in which sort of the, the veil is removed, as it were, um, the substance has changed from bread and wine to the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, but what are called the accidents, that's a technical theological term, the appearances of bread, wine still remain, but sometimes those are taken away so that people can experience what's actually there. Of course, one of the more famous of these uh, Eucharistic miracles occurred in Lanciano, Italy, back in the 8th century, and this was really at a time when a priest who was at a monastery in Lanciano, he was personally doubting the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And one morning when he was celebrating Mass, he said the words of consecration over the elements, and then the host suddenly, actually visibly turned, sensibly turned into a circle of flesh. The wine was seen to be visible blood, and the priest Wow, this is God answering his doubts in, in a very, very huge way. The whole town found out about this. It became big, big news. And this host that had become flesh, visible flesh, and, and of course blood in the chalice, that was put on display in that particular church in Lanciano. And throughout the centuries, uh, many have come on pilgrimage to, to see this site. And in, in the 1970s, actually, Pope Paul VI, and the church has always investigated these miracles and uh, the church is not afraid of science there's no conflict between science and faith science just explains how things work in god's universe um and faith really kind of answers the big questions of why why are we here what's the meaning of life all that stuff we, we need theology for that but the church has never been afraid of investigating wherever possible uh the evidences of, of miracles to science and so in the 1970s uh, the Pope at the time, Paul VI, encouraged Italian scientists using very, very modern equipment to look at uh, the remnants of the Eucharistic miracle at Lanciano, and they concluded 
that this flesh, that, that the host had become visible flesh, was actually flesh from a human heart, which had all the properties of living flesh. Uh, blood type. Now, a lot of preachers will say the blood type was O, the universal donor. Christ gave his life for everybody. Okay, that's great preaching, but it's not actually true. The blood type was AB and had all the proteins you would expect to see in living flesh, fresh and flesh, uh, human blood, if you will. So this is this is pretty incredible uh, what has uh, what has been uh, discovered there. And that that's just one Eucharistic miracle. And there are many more. There are many more that are constantly under scrutiny by the church that are being looked at these claims. So why isn't this happening on the regular? Well, I think there's a good reason for that. And I don't know what you guys think, 888-914-9149. One big reason for that is that God does want faith from his people in terms of what he says about the Eucharist. And and this is exactly what happened in the case of the conversion of St. Paul. On on the other program that I host each day on Relevant Radio, The Faith Explained, right now we're back into St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Kind of took a bit of a break over the the Christmas uh, season to look at the Our Father, kind of going back to basics a little bit. New Year, let's get back to basics. Let's look at the prayer that Jesus taught us. A lot of great theology there. But now we're back into part two of St. Paul's letter to the Romans. And St. Paul himself, his freedom was kind of taken away from him. He he didn't have a choice anymore. To, he really, in some ways, he couldn't exercise his faith muscle like he used to. He still had to later on in life, of course, but when it came to his conversion, that choice was in essence taken away from him because he was obviously vehemently opposed to the church. He was, as scripture says, breathing murderous threats against the disciples. And in the Acts of the Apostles, he actually tells his conversion story three different times. And you didn't waste parchment in, in the ancient world. It, it wasn't like having uh, sort of an infinite document on Google Docs. We could just kind of erase stuff, go back, write it over. No, no, no. Anything you had to write, and, and Paul made use of a scribe. He had maybe some problems with his eyesight. You can ask me about that later if you want. But he used a scribe, at least when he was writing Romans, there's a guy named Tertius who he, who he hired as a scribe, or maybe didn't have to hire him. Maybe he was just his companion fellow believer uh, who actually was writing, and he puts himself in the letter at the end. Hey, I'm Tertius. Uh, I'm actually writing this for Paul. How you doing? But uh, in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, there's a few different places that ta- where Paul recounts his conversion. And he's always kind of shaping it for the audience that he's talking to. And I think that's a good, good lesson for us as well when we're talking about the faith. We've got to have an elevator pitch that we can kind of massage and, and expand, contract based on how much time we have and the needs of the person who's in front of us. And... Saul, as he was known at the time, Rabbi Saul, was involved in the arrest, the, the murder of the first Christian martyr, St. Stephen. I, find it, I always find it interesting that his feast day is the day right after Christmas, the first martyr. Uh, there, there is a cost to following Jesus. Uh, there's a cost to Christmas. Uh, we, we know this when we get our credit card bill the next month, but there's also a cost to following this, this, this child of Bethlehem with our lives, we might have to pay with our own life. The, the Holy Innocents found that out. We, we celebrate that feast as well during the Christmas season, during the octave of Christmas on the 28th. And in the martyrdom of St. Stephen, Saul is holding the jackets of the guys who are stoning Stephen to death. And he himself may have been personally involved in, in murdering believers. But his, his incredible um, 
conversion. And I'm just going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 9, one of the places where this is recounted. It says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he journeyed, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. That's kind of interesting, because we don't think that St. Paul ever actually met Jesus during Jesus' earthly life, unless they bumped into each other at a temple feast, which is quite possible. You never know. Jesus may have done it on purpose. Just kind of nudged him. This guy doesn't know he's going to meet me later, much later. But Rabbi Saul studied under the famous Gamaliel. He had all the credentials. He did not think Jesus was Messiah, but he was. He was. And so Jesus, in a sense, kind of took his freedom away from him when he revealed himself to Saul on the Damascus Road. It says that the men who were traveling with Saul stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without without sight and neither ate nor drank. So he was kind of blinded by the light, uh, quite literally. And maybe people people suggest that maybe this is why he, maybe this is this thorn in the flesh that he talks about elsewhere. This, this as he says, a, a messenger that sent to torment me. But God said, my, I begged the Lord to take it away, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Might have been the after effects of this great light from heaven. And his eyesight might have never been the same. Tough, tough thing for a scholar to have to go through like St. Paul. And this is why he sort of signs off some of his letters. This is how you know it's him. He actually does write with his own hand on some of these letters with big letters. And maybe because he couldn't see straight, he's like, see with what large letters I use to write. You know it's me. You know it's Paul. But at any rate, um, uh, Saul is instructed by Ananias what to do, how to proceed. He is baptized. And then he becomes this great evangelist, the greatest evangelist of all time, the GOAT. We're going to talk about some goat coaches, Belichick, Sabin, but no doubt the greatest evangelist of all time is St. Paul. But his freedom was kind of taken away from him. And I would say this um, to anybody who's kind of asking that question about why aren't there more Eucharistic miracles on the regular, people like Mary who wrote me that email that I just read to you. If God did that sort of stuff every day, he would be essentially taking our freedom away. We would not be able to exercise that faith muscle that we have to have. And, and the letter to the Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible because we have to trust that, that he is, A, really there, and we have to trust in his plan for our lives. You can read about in Hebrews chapter 11, that great, it's the hall of fame of faith. And there's been a lot of hall of fame players, and Rich Gannon and I will talk a little bit about that in the NFL later on, but the Hall of Fame of Faith is really, for starters, in terms of the Old Testament, it's in Hebrews chapter 11. And that's a really inspiring chapter to read. If you're down on faith and, and you find yourself not not able to believe for whatever reason, have, have a look at that. Have a look at that. But if, if, if there were miracles, and there, there are miracles like this that do happen, let's not 
take away from the fact that the Catholic Church still believes in miracles. There has to be two verified miracles through someone's intercession for them to be canonized as a saint. Think about miracles that take place that scientists look at at places like Lourdes, the healing waters there. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Think, think about think about this. If, if, if God did this all the time, it wouldn't necessarily be freedom. It would, it would, in essence, be bribery. Those of you who are parents out there, if you say to your children, look, if you make the right choice here, if you clean your room when I'm asking you to do so, or do your homework, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you a Nintendo Switch. I'm going to give you a cookie, whatever. They're doing it for the gift at some level. That's the danger. That's the danger. But if you want them to be fully functional, mature adults, capable of choosing the good for its own sake, it can't just be because you're going to get something immediately out of it, um, i.e. a miracle. I, show me the miracle. Show, I want to see this right now. So it, it would it'd essentially be taking our freedom away from it. Uh, from us if, if Jesus did this on a, on, a, on a regular basis, kind of removed the accidents, showed us the reality of what's going on. And, and by the way, there's also a practical reason um, why he gives us his body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearances of bread and wine. If it was visibly flesh and blood, nobody would actually consume the Eucharist. It would be, ah! And uh, one saint had that insight. It's it's for a good reason. But we But we do need Jesus. We do need our Eucharistic Lord. So I don't know what you guys think about that, but I'd love to hear from you. Got to take a quick break right now on the show, 888-914-9149, but we will be right back. So you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call toll-free to talk to me, ask a question, have a comment on what we were talking about earlier in the show. Later in the program, Rich Gannon will be joining me to talk about the NFL playoffs. But just before the break, we'd been talking about an email I'd received, uh, a woman named Mary, who seems to have tragically, it sounds like she's left the church. I hope you come back, Mary. I hope you reconsider your decision. Has major doubts about the Eucharist. It is Thursday. It is the day on which Jesus instituted the Eucharist, uh, the greatest sacrament. It's not the most important. The most important one is baptism, but the greatest one, of course, is the Eucharist his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And she basically said, hey, I don't see healings like I see in biblical times. I don't see uh, people being healed of crippling diseases, getting up out of their wheelchairs and leaving them behind, walking out of mass whole and entire physically. Why aren't these things happening? Why aren't there Eucharistic miracles happening at every mass if, in fact, what the church says is happening, what Jesus said is happening, actually does happen? So I want to get your take on this, 888 Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to James in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hi, James. Hey, Kale. Hey, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for all the, the comments. Um, there's a lot of great stuff. I'll just kind of dovetail off of a lot of what you were saying about faith and components there. Um, 
one of the things that popped right into my head was uh, uh, when Jesus went back to his hometown and mm. uh, he was not able to do anything because of their lack of faith. That's um, a great point. It's, it's, it's a little jarring when we go through life and we're like, well, geez, I'm praying, I have faith and I, I haven't seen these miracles and like to your point too, you got to exercise that muscle. If that's going to, if that's going to bring us closer, you know, with exercising that muscle, even though we don't see the miracle, the evidence in our life, if it brings us closer that way. But, um, sometimes it, it can just be, it can be that, um, perhaps. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a great call, James. Really appreciate that. Yeah, it's 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 so true that Jesus Himself it says He could not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And really, it's only in this world that we can kind of exercise our faith and, and grow in this. Because uh, of course, when when we get to heaven, we're not going to need faith anymore. That will be replaced by sight, by reality, uh, being uh, able to participate in the beatific vision. Please God, you know. So, but but you know, obviously, love—the greatest of these—faith, hope, and love—is love. Love is always there because God is love, and our hope will be fulfilled. But but faith is is and hope really we can we can work on those muscles. Hope as well, uh, only in this world. So let's not waste our opportunity. I don't think we'll ever regret not having more faith. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Robert in San Francisco. Hi, Robert. Thank you for there. We can't hear you. We got a bit of a bad connection, so we're going to try to get you uh, connected, reconnected once again. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to go to Dean in Stockton, California. Hi, Dean. Hi, Kelligan. Um, I think I'm, I want to thank Mary for that excellent letter she wrote. Um, I'm sure uh, she put a lot more into that you couldn't read to us, but I'm glad she raised the issue she did. I think, um, Kale, towards the, towards the end of your talk before the break, you said all the right things that I believe we got to come to the Lord for himself and not for the favors we receive from him. Um, mm. And uh, we have to receive him in a symbolic form, in the form of, of bread and wine. We can't eat his flesh and blood as many people think we, we're not, we're cannibals. But, but finally, um, I just think that, that the, the, what Mary didn't acknowledge is that only one woman is said to have touched his um, garment and received healing, but Jesus was out and about for three years. So, um, it's not that everyone that comes near Jesus automatically receives this healing. Um, nor should we expect that. But finally, let's come to the Lord, uh, for the Lord, and for Him alone. And then whatever He grants us is, um, you know, frosting on the cake. <laughs> I like the way you put that, Dean. And, and it, it's true. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus sort of removed Himself from the crowds after the miracle uh, one of the feeding miracles, he, he just sort of runs to the hills because he knows the people want to take him by force and make him king. And he knows that they're following him simply because their bellies were full. They had the filet fish miracle. They, 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 you know, they, they ate to their heart's content. But, and by the way, really, really tackily, tackily um, an evangelical church once actually did that uh, to try to "Quote unquote," recreate the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. They they flew a helicopter over a hillside. Thousands were gathered, and they dropped down uh, filet fish sandwiches into the crowd. Uh, I don't know as an outreach strategy. I don't know if that worked or not. But having said that, um, uh, I will say this: Jesus knows that we have a propensity to to ask God to be sort of a cosmic vending machine. We only want the things that we want, but we're not necessarily interested in adhering to his teachings. And that's, that's the key. 
Um, do we want him for his own sake? Do we want truth for its own sake? And truth is a person, of course, the person of Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, John fourteen six. Do you want me or only what I can give you? And that that's a good question that we have to ask ourselves, I think, uh, in our prayer. Appreciate that call. We got Robert connected once again. Robert, you're back in San Francisco. Sorry about that, Robert. Glad that you called back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Uh, I was just like when I read that part of the Bible about that lady touching Jesus' clothes. Jesus was kind of like surprised when he, it, it seems like there was something that came out of him. Well, well, uh, that throws me in a certain situation that I got, it got me into thinking that uh, there must be something like a bond or, or something special bond with that lady thinking at that moment in time and with Jesus. Because for everyday life of Jesus Christ, surely a lot of people have been touching him and nothing happened. You know, like he's in contact with so many people. But uh, also, I, I, I know for a fact that, uh, that, that sickness is somehow associated with the sins that we have committed. Most especially if Jesus heals, he said, your sins are forgiven you. And, you know, that makes us kind of think back. If we want to get healed, maybe we should look back at ourselves and, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we haven't done enough. Hey, Robert, I would do want to, thank you for calling. I want to respond to, to a couple of things that, that you said there. Um, Start with this, uh, and this is something that Jesus himself does note. Um, often when he performs a healing, he'll say, your faith has saved you, your faith has healed you, something like that. There is a bit of a, a connection between someone's faith and their capacity for experiencing what God wants to give them. Uh, and that's true in a lot of different areas. And I, I mean, healing is only a small piece of it. Uh, I remember once um, in a homily, a priest once once gave this illustration. You know, he he had sort of a, a plastic soda bottle, and he said, "Look, this soda bottle holds only so much, only one liter. If I if I pour more than one liter into it, it's gonna." You know, he didn't do that in the sanctuary; make a mess. But but you pour Coca Cola or anything else in there. If you pour more than a liter, more than the the size of the bottle, what it can actually contain, it's going to be wasted. So we we have to sort of expand our hearts, the containers of our hearts, so that we can receive more from God. And, and there, there's enough you, there's enough grace in one Eucharist and just one drop of the precious blood from the chalice to, to save the entire world. But are we, are, are we open to that? Are we, are we, it's, 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 so the capacity of our hearts is really big there. And we, we need to, to make it a large capacity for sure. But something that you said though, Robert, the connection between sin and physical illness, I think we, we have to be extremely careful with that because that is not always the case. The, the scourge that has swept across America in recent decades, the health and wealth gospel, especially prominent uh, in, in the Protestant world, but certainly many Protestants reject this. Don't Let's not get that wrong. Uh, a lot of Protestants, in fact, I'd say probably the majority of Protestants, the vast majority would say, this is absolute theological ridiculousness, Ness. <laughs> uh, this idea that you know, if you're sick or you've got cancer or there's been some reversal in your life, it must be because you have displeased the Lord in some way. There's some sort of a punishment. If you haven't been healed, 
Again, there's got to be a sin blocking God's grace and, and, and power from getting through to you. This is really from the pit of hell, this kind of theology. And I've seen it negatively affect people's lives close up. When I was uh, outside of the church uh, in Protestant ministry, I didn't teach that stuff, by the way. But but having said that, e- even Jesus himself, uh, this was sort of prevalent, this, this concept in the first century world, too. This idea that if somebody's been financially blessed or... Uh, blessed with health, a lot of graces in one's life, it must be because they're holy. Well, not necessarily. God causes his sunshine to affect the evil and the good. The rain falls on the crops of the evil and the good. And for for a time, it can seem like evil people are prospering. But don't worry, it's all going to get worked out. God's justice will never be denied. But in John chapter 9, the famous case of, of the man who was born blind, his disciples actually asked Jesus this question, Rabbi, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. But this happened so that the glory of God might be displayed in his life. And of course, then he heals him, gives him back his sight. And it's kind of an object lesson. In John's gospel, the miracles kind of act as parables, that Jesus gives us supernatural vision to see reality as it clearly is. He wants to give us back our, our supernatural sight. So he, he's very, so we have to be extremely careful because it's it's... It, it does not mean that, uh, that someone's being punished by God if they find themselves in an unfortunate situation. We just, we just can't play God like that. Uh, so that's, that's uh, something to keep in mind. Appreciate the call. And you guys can call in to 888 Let's go to Dennis in West Bend, Wisconsin, in the greater Milwaukee area. Hi, Dennis. Hi, how you doing, Kale? Fantastic, fantastic. Thanks for calling. So one of the things about not seeing miracles every day, are we truly looking for them, though? Mm. Here, here's the thing. A um, couple personal experiences. Uh, my mother uh, had a stroke. Okay. Uh, the, only notice, the only thing she had wrong was a, a, just a really bad headache, went upstairs to lay down. thing was, my one sister, who's a nurse, happened to be over the house with the family at the time. If mm. she hadn't been there, there's a good chance my mom might not have woken up and because she went upstairs to see my mom and she mm. found her in that state, knew exactly what was going on, knew exactly what to do, and got her to the hospital in time to help her out. Um, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Another small, another small example uh I ride a motorcycle. There was a day I was riding, uh, and ignorantly I left my helmet off. I had, you know, just some riding gloves, riding boots, jeans, and a T-shirt on, and a backpack, and uh, went went down on the motorcycle. Uh, motorcycle ended up getting totaled. I ended up with just a little bit of road rash. Now, you could say that that's all, um, you know, coincidence or, you know, whatever, but if you look at it, all I had to do was smack my head and I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah. It's the small miracles we don't think are miracles, but they're there. Yeah, that, that, those are a couple powerful examples there of just by God's grace, uh, the right person was there at the right time for your mom. And also the fact that you didn't die on that ride. There's another day. There's, there's another chance to 
okay, let's let's serve God and 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 make sure that we take advantage of, of the time that we have. We don't know when our when our last day is. That's why it's so important that we pray that prayer when we when we ask for our Lady's intercession. Pray for us now and at the hour of our death. We don't know when that's going to be. It could be tonight. So we need to be ready. We need to be absolutely ready. And um, I think I think that that there are of course micro miracles that happen every day, macro miracles, big ticket items that ha- that happen every day when God intervenes in a particular situation in various ways. And, and a lot of you guys could speak to that, how, how God has worked in your life outside of what we would call the norm, I guess. But, but just even life itself is a miracle, the complexity of the human body. I'm always amazed at... <laughs> You know, uh, my my optometrist, he doesn't believe in God. I'm like, how how can you look at the human eye, and and, and the miracle of sight, and, and not think, you know, how did this happen? Uh, there's been studies that have shown that, you know, some scientists suggest that, that that there's never been an eye that couldn't see. This concept of irreducible complexity at, at the base biological level. I think about human DNA, even if it's ba- at its most essential building block. It's irreducibly complex and ordered in design. And I, I just, I wonder sometimes why people don't believe that really all of life is a miracle. The, the fact that you and I are here, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. So much to get into. Don't want to get too deep here, but let's get back to the phones. Let's go to Joan in Thousand Oaks, California. Hi, Joan. Hi there, Kale. Um, I just mentioned to, I think it's Patrick, that... Um, we have miracles every day happen in the confessional where our sins are forgiven. And Jesus said when he would do his miracles, your sins are forgiven, but for everyone's unbelief, he healed like the physical malady as well. Mm. Um, So the the sins being forgiven was the real miracle. He said, what is harder forgiving sin or healing the lame or whatever the problem was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we we talked about that. I think yesterday on the show as well. And it's true that, and I forget. Uh, I should know this. I think it's a super super obvious question. But um, last couple of days, I've had the memory of a goldfish. Uh, one saint said that I think maybe it was Saint Augustine. You can correct me on this one. Fact check me. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. That sort of a message to priests that that when someone's sins are forgiven in the confessional, especially when they're in a state of mortal sin, to, to bring that person back into a state of friendship and grace with God, that, that is a greater act than the, than the creation of the universe. That, that's, a, that's a marvel. That is an absolute marvel. And, and we should never, ever take that for granted. Um, and and the, the connection between spiritual healing, healing and, the, and, the, and the primacy of that, of course, um, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick very often, you know, involves confession too, and uh, the offer of forgiveness of sins when somebody receives that sacrament, um, going into a big surgery or whatever the case may be, because, hey, you know, even if our bodies die, they will rise again. There is a resurrection of the just and the unjust. It's going to happen to everybody on the last day. The Son of God will call us forth from our tombs, so we will live forever, eternally somewhere and and that the most important place is uh, thing is getting the address right so uh, we've got to make sure that that we do absolutely so listen we've got to take a a break right now on the kale clark show but when we come back i'll be joined by the great rich gannon we're going to be talking about the playoffs and all the incredible news around the nfl we'll be right back after this 888 914 
888-914-9149. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. I'm going to be joined in just a moment by Rich Gannon. We're going to talk about the NFL playoffs and all the news coming out of the league, especially today. Huge bombshell. Bill Belichick is out after 24 years as the coach of the New England Patriots. Maybe the greatest run of all time. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. And just a one little note on Eucharistic miracles, and we were talking about that earlier in the program. Great story. I wanted to share this with you from King St. Louis IX. In the 13th century, he was the king of France. Now, I don't know whether this is an apocryphal story or not, but there was an alleged Eucharistic miracle that happened in a church in Paris while he was king. And people asked him, hey, he wasn't there at the time, but people asked King uh, King St. Louis, what would you have done if you were actually there in that church? This miracle took place. And he said, you know what? I would have simply just closed my eyes and continued to pray because I already would have known Christ was present after the consecration. I don't need to see any miracle. How about that? So I just thought I'd throw that out there from St. Louis, King St. Louis. Well, from St. Louis to somewhere else in the United States, namely Minnesota, I want to welcome in the 2002 NFL MVP and analyst with CBS Sports and also the SiriusXM NFL Satellite Radio Network, not to mention the 33rd team, 17-year pro quarterback in the NFL, great friend of the program. Rich Gannon is my guest. Rich, thanks for taking the time today. How are you doing? Carol, it's great to be with you, my friend. How are you? Absolutely wonderful. How was your Christmas? Everything was great. I was able to have both daughters come and visit and spend some time with us, so that was great. It's always great to be with family and friends over the holiday and uh everything is great here so we're uh I, as you know i say this all the time i'm a big fan of the show relevant radio is important to me uh and my family so god bless the work that you're doing well we, we appreciate you rich and we, we thank you for your prayers that's why you're an mvp most valuable prayer for relevant radio and uh you know the, the post-holiday time is kind of an anxious time for personnel in the National Football League. Of course, th- this past Monday is known as Black Monday in NFL circles because that's the day the heads usually roll. Teams that don't make the playoffs, uh, fire personnel, coaches, executives sometimes. And, and today, just absolutely bombshell news. Uh, Bill Belichick, it was not totally unexpected, but he is now out as Patriots coach after 24 years. What do you think his legacy is, Rich? Well, I think he'll go down as one of the greatest coaches in any sport. And I think when you consider, Kale, what he did uh, with the salary cap, with free agency, to have the success that he has, has had, of course, uh, what an incredible run. I mean, the man wears eight Super Bowl rings. Uh, he went to ten Super Bowls. And, of course, uh, you know, he coached a lot of great players. I think he coached over a 1,000 players. And I just think his longevity, the consistency, the production – 17 uh, division titles. Uh, you know, I just, uh, and I had the, the good fortune of competing against him. I should say the bad fortune, but I also <laughs> had the good fortune of calling some of his games for CBS sports and just getting time to spend with him in the production meeting out on the practice field, watching him work was just a privilege. And uh, anyone that's ever played for coach Belichick will tell you that you know, they were always prepared. Uh, coach always put them in a position to have a chance to be successful. 
and he cared about his players. And I think that mm. speaks volumes of the type of coach that Bill Belichick was and is because as he has suggested, uh, he's not done. You know, he still wants to continue to coach. And I think we're all curious to see where he winds up. Do you, Rich, do you see any landing spot in the openings that jumps out at you right away or someplace he might want to go? Yeah, I would think that, you know, Bill's not going to want to go somewhere, Cal, where he has to start over, where it's a, you know, a restoration project. I think mm-hmm. when you look at the number of coaches that have been fired just this this cycle, and there was 22 coaches fired in the last three seasons. Think about that, five last year, 10 the year before, and seven the year before that. So, you know, we're almost 30 coaches in four years. There's only 32 teams. And, and the reason these coaches are getting fired is because of, the quarterback position. Either they don't have a quarterback, the one they have is not playing well, lack of consistency and production at that position. And there's one team that relieved their head coach uh, during the regular season, and that's the Los Angeles Chargers, and they mm. happen to have a great young quarterback oh, in yeah. Justin Herbert. So I keep an eye on that situation. Uh, that would be a great fit. Um, there's also a new owner in Washington, and there may be some patience there, but uh, I don't know. I, I think he, I think there, there's, there's some speculation about the Atlanta Falcons. Arthur Blank is 81 years old. He's not getting any younger. He wants to win a Super Bowl, uh, but they don't have a quarterback. So no, we'll, we'll see how it works out. But uh, my, my sense is he won't be out long. Probably not. Probably not. He, he's he's certainly you know if he's not the greatest coach of all time, he's certainly well into the conversation. And of course, he's only a few wins behind Don Shula for uh, the NFL record. A lot of people thought that maybe he was going to quit and go into television. He'd be making. He'd been doing a lot of stuff that he doesn't normally do recently, like at the Army Navy game. He, of course, he he loves Navy because of his dad and everything, but. But there was a lot of speculation, and he did such a great job on the NFL 100 series too. It just inc- he's such a great historian of the game. I could see him going into TV like you, Rich. But uh, we'll have to see what happens down the road. But someone else, another coach who might do that, we don't really know for sure. More big news yesterday: Nick Saban retired as coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. You used to obviously coach with Bill Belichick in Cleveland back in the 90s. Where do you see him going, and what's his legacy? I think he's more likely to jump into a studio show or even a broadcast booth, but you know, he's not the youngest. I think he's in his early seventies as well. Okay. On some point, you know, you've been, I think the one thing that that fans need to take into consideration, you know, this is a a year round business. Uh, They burn the candle at both ends. They spend so much time every season, uh, during the season, after the season, you know, even the college game, we have many, we have, uh, obviously spring football and we have recruiting and, you know, there's, there's a lot of development that goes on. And of course now with the rules and the NIL, it's getting more and more, um, challenging, I think for coaches, but mm-hmm. my sense is Nick Saban wants to take some time to spend with his family. He's got a great wife of, of many years and, and, uh, who knows, but I, there'll be a lot of opportunities for Nick Saban. He's a brilliant coach. Did amazing things at the University of Alabama. I had, ch- had a chance of covering a couple of his games when he was at the Miami Dolphins, so got a chance to know Coach mm-hmm. Saban as well. And these, uh, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Nick worked mm-hmm. for for Bill in Cleveland, and um, I think that uh, there's very, there's a lot of similarities when you sit down with both of them. And Nick Saban also is a very committed Catholic. Um, he apparently is a Knight of Columbus. Uh, he financed the the construction of the Saban Catholic Student Center at the University of Alabama, and I, I, I don't think he um, 
is looking for public praise or recognition for that, but uh, his faith background is is also intriguing to me. And I don't know if you've had a chance to to delve into that at all with him or anybody who knows him, Rich. No, I haven't, but uh, I'm not surprised. And, you know, I think a lot of these people that we talk about, Cal, whether it's coaches, whether it's players, whether it's administrators, even owners, there's a, uh, you know, certainly the folks in Chicago, the McCaskey family, uh, you know, there's a lot of strong Catholics out there that a lot of, that people are committed to the faith. I talk to a lot of NFL players on a weekly basis, and uh, faith is important to these players. And, and uh, it's good to see that. It's good to hear about that. We don't hear enough about it. Television, you know, we, they don't want you. That's not the stories that they want to be promoting. Uh, it's unfortunate, but um, yeah. it's great when you hear about NFL players, coaches, administrators that, uh, that live by their faith and, and celebrate their faith and live out their faith. Yeah, and it's great, Rich. My guest is Rich Gannon. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Rich, it's it's funny that you mentioned the Bears, of course, because I had a lot of people in the office saying, you got to ask him this. Of course, the Bears are uh, owned by Virginia McCaskey, who just turned 101. Mama Bear, like you, she's a great fan of Relevant Radio, listens all the time. And I do have to ask you this, because my coworkers wanted me to make sure I got this in there. Once again, uh, as what may go down as the most lopsided trade in NFL history, the Bears once again for the second year in a row, thanks to their deal with Carolina last year, they once again own the number one pick in the draft. What do you think they're going to do? Are they going to trade for another haul? Do you think there's any chance they'll draft a quarterback, or are they committed to Justin Fields? I think they'd be making a mistake not to draft a quarterback. I think when you look at Justin Fields, Track record over the last three seasons, he's got a losing record. Um, he hasn't been the most consistent player at that position. People can certainly say, well, their offensive line wasn't great. They went through coaching changes, play caller and coordinator changes. All those things contribute. There's no question about that. But I would just, I would just make the argument that just look at the Packers uh, in Wisconsin mm-hmm. and what they've done. You know, when they had Brett Favre, they used the first-round pick on Aaron Rodgers. That one turned out okay. When they had Aaron Rodgers, they used the first-round pick on Jordan Love. And, Cal, I don't know how you feel, but, you know, Jordan Love got off to a little bit of a slow start but really played well in the second half of the season, threw for over 4,100 yards, completed, I think, 65% of his passes, I think threw 32 touchdowns. I mean, he really played well. And so uh, I just think the Bears would be foolish not to use that first-round pick to – create more competition in the quarterback room mm. in Chicago. Interesting. Well, that's a great segue, mentioning Jordan Love, who's certainly been on fire lately, to get into our picks for Super Wildcard Weekend. I'm going to press you on, on the Super Bowl as well, but let's let's talk about this weekend's games. Let's start there. In Dallas, Packers at Cowboys. That's the prime 430 slot on Sunday. Great storylines here. Uh, Mike McCarthy's old team coming into Dallas. Are the Cowboys going to be okay with their offensive line? Tyron Smith, is he going to be able to go for Dallas? And how do you see this playing out? I really like the Cowboys in this one, uh, Cal. They're a perfect 8-0 at home. Uh, they've been a different team at home. And, of course, Dak Prescott has a special season. And I think you look at uh, throwing 15 interceptions a, a season ago this year. He cut that number down to 9 through 36 touchdowns. CeeDee Lamb's had a great year. Uh, they're excellent on defense. And when they get they get a lead, they're really dangerous. And I just think that the Packers have to be able to run the football, take the edge off of that pass rush. Uh, but the Dallas Cowboys are going to be tough at home. You cannot turn the football over against the Cowboys. 
Yeah, that's right. And uh, turnovers are so key, especially in the playoffs. Whoever wins the turnover battle usually wins the game. So you're going with the Cowboys there. Let's go with another great storyline. It's going to happen in the night game on Sunday. The Rams at the Lions. Matthew Stafford returning to a place where he spent so many years uh, in Detroit. Obviously, never had the success in the playoffs. But, Rich, when you were going back to stadiums and teams, playing against teams that you used to represent, did that, how did that affect you personally? And did it ever seep into your on-field performance? It does affect you. I mean, I think when you look at the situation for Jared Goff, he was kicked to the curb for another quarterback uh, when he was in Los Angeles. He was shipped to Detroit. Uh, I don't think he's ever forgotten that. I think he's had a phenomenal season. You know, the Lions went 12 and five. First time they've won a division in 30 years. Uh, they're six and two at home. Uh, I think they're a physical football team. But let me say this about the Rams: nobody thought the Rams at the beginning of the season had any chance of making it to the postseason. When Stafford came back, this team caught fire. They've won four straight games of 10 and seven. Sean McVay's done a great job. Aaron Donald. This is gonna, I think this is going to be a high-scoring game, but I do like the Lions at home. Okay, going to go with the Lions. All right, real quick, we only got a couple minutes left. Let's get through the other matchups. Steelers at Bills, 1 o'clock Sunday. Yeah, no T.J. Watt. This is going to be a struggle. I like the, the Buffalo Bills at home, uh, Kale. They're, they're a team that I think has a chance to go all the way. They've won five straight games. They're 11-6. Josh Allen's been terrific. 7-2 at home. I don't think anyone's beating the Bills at home. I don't think so either. Not this week. They are hot at the right time going into the playoffs. All right, let's look at the Saturday matchups. The afternoon game, the Browns at the Texans. C.J. Stroud maybe had the best rookie quarterback ever. I would say yes by a quarterback. I don't know if you'd agree, Rich. I'm going to go with the the Texans. You you talk about Houston has the fewest giveaways with 14. C.J. Stroud, this is the most remarkable number. He threw five interceptions on the season. Five. Unbelievable. I mean, that's incredible for a young player. And and on the other side of it, Cleveland, 37 giveaways. The most in the NFL this season. I like the Texans at home. All right, one more pick. Dolphins at Chiefs. Weather's going to be a factor. It's going to be minus 12 Fahrenheit at Arrowhead. You played there before. The cold weather's bad for everybody, but you got to make a pick here. Is it going to be too much for the Dolphins? Are they going to be put on ice? Yeah, I'm going to take the Chiefs at home. One of the most difficult places to play. The other thing to keep in mind, look at that roster. The Dolphins, they are so banged up. Oh, yeah, that's true. There's so many injuries, and that's always a factor. Who is healthier going into the playoffs? Well, Rich, we'll have to, uh, I'll have to text you for your Super Bowl pick later. We're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. That was Rich Gannon. You can follow him on Twitter, at RichGannon12. Check out his SiriusXM Satellite NFL show with Bruce Murray. Enjoy the playoffs, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow on the Kale Clark Show. God bless you.